south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. Top of the morning, afternoon, or noche to you. You know, just lately, lots of people have been asking me my opinion about AI, you know, artificial intelligence. Well, here's a take on it I don't think you've heard before. No matter what you and I think about it, I believe that governments will absolutely hate it, but businesses will love it. It's all about efficiency. Because, you know, in the real world where people make products and have to be competitive, let's say, for example, you're Whirlpool and you make washing machines. One of your biggest costs after you make the product is shipping. Those things weigh a lot, right? And shipping costs are by the weight and volume. What if you set AI loose in your engineering department and you said, okay, take all our refrigerator models, check all the technical specs, and cut out 10% of the weight, but don't affect the life or durability of the product? Well, guess what? If you set human beings, engineers, to the task, they'll never be able to do it as well or as efficiently as AI could do it. Because in a split second, AI will check every single blueprint of every washing machine or refrigerator, whatever you pick that's ever existed from your company and all your competitors and select the absolute best and most efficient designs depending on the constraints you give it. By the way, that's exactly what every single company that manufactures a product is doing today or it will be doing in the next year or so. They're going to be drastically improving and streamlining their products, making them more user-friendly and ergonomic too. What's not to like about that? For example, having a car that's 5, 10, 15, even 30% more efficient on gas or electricity if it's electric, safer and more comfortable too. Sure, you could put 5, 10, 20, 1,000 engineers on that project and come up with a better product eventually, but never to the degree that AI could. Because the thing is, you know, a car has to be run through crash tests after they change design on it. Well, guess what? AI can simulate crash tests instantly too. By taking all the data that's ever been collected in millions and millions of crash tests and running those simulations virtually on any and all new tweaks and changes it's made. Oh, and not to mention all future product lines designed or tweaked by AI will inevitably be much cheaper too. AI will select lighter, cheaper, more durable materials. And if they don't exist right now, AI will do the chemistry and show the metallurgists how to make it. Take, for example, a simple Black & Decker power drill. What if you told AI to make it 10% cheaper, but just as strong, durable, and long-lasting as the existing model? Of course, everything's a compromise, right? If you make something 10% cheaper, something's got to give. Well, not necessarily at all. It's not a zero-sum game. Because AI will most certainly source materials the original designers, the engineers, never even thought of using before. Not to mention AI being the best chemical engineer in the world with the combined knowledge of every single chemical process available to man will come up with brand new, super efficient, previously unheard of and unimaginable materials all the time. Not to mention AI will completely redesign manufacturing processes in ways human engineers never thought of before. 
Because remember, AI has access to every single manufacturing process of every single item ever made and will instantaneously select the perfect process for the particular application. Imagine if you were a brilliant engineering department and had all that at your fingertips when given a mission to design a new product. It would be like having 50,000 of the most brilliant engineers in the world working in your lab. Only difference is if you had 50,000 engineers working in a giant lab, none of them would know what the other guys do and it would be chaos. But with AI, it would be like having all their brains wired together in parallel. So very shortly, we can expect gigantic improvements and changes in all product lines, and they'll be cheaper, safer, longer lasting, and more environmentally sound. For example, one of the biggest problems with electric cars is the range problem with batteries, right? Well, guess what? I know a couple of guys working in battery technology are using AI. They claim the next generation of which AI is working out the details. Right now, that is developing new chemical and manufacturing processes. Those AI battery modifications will give you at least a 1,000-mile range with your electric car battery. That's coming in the next two, three years. That would be twice, even three times as much as a regular gas car with a full tank of gas. Did you know that these days a full tank of gas will get you only 300 to 400 miles? That means the average guy would only have to charge his electric car battery about once a month since the average person puts on about 10 to 15,000 miles a year. But I did start out this little rant by saying that governments are extremely afraid of AI. Why? Well, since AI has turned out to be the greatest efficiency expert of all time. Just imagine if a politician, let's say a president, gave a presidential order to sick AI on every department in government. Social security, education, healthcare, military, VA, social services, treasury department, all of them. Yeah, this shit would hit the fan all right. In other words, program AI, give it the order to analyze, let's say, the FBI or CIA, point out all the fat, all the dead weight, all the redundancies, all the useless paper pushers and make work jobs, in other words, root out the rot and waste in every government department. Then reorganize it into the most efficient entity possible. I know, I know, that's the last thing government departments want to do. They want to expand like a cancer. Every petty government bureaucrat's mission is to hire more people. Like a cancerous tumor, more malignant cells living off the host. By the way, I know a couple of guys in alphabet agencies, and they tell me the guys in charge, the big wigs, in those agencies are scared shitless what AI will do if let loose and what it will find out about the workings of their department. As one high-level government slug told me, there's nothing, no graft, corruption, money transfers, sweetheart deals, payoffs, nepotism that AI can't find if set to the task. So I say, by all means, set AI to the task. If set to the task of being the most super smart detective in the world, nothing can hide from AI. Everything's been computerized, it's online or been scanned, or has been captured in a telephone call. Now, speaking of AI being a super-powered detective, imagine what's going to happen with all those millions of cold cases gathering dust in the files of police departments everywhere. Just wait. You know, the last time someone tried to find and root out government corruption was in Reagan's day. He hired the J. Peter Grace efficiency firm to come in and check out all the government departments. Took a year. And if I recall, cost 10 million bucks. And even way back then, what is it, some 40 years ago now, the Grace Commission discovered that about half of everything that the government does is pure bureaucratic waste and fat. And even though a best-selling book came out of it called The Grace Commission, I read it, 
None of the measures or suggestions were ever put into action. So even though we knew 40 years ago half of everything the government did was fat, corruption, and waste, it's 10 times worse now, and the fox is still in charge of the hen house. That's why government bureaucrats and parasites at the top are so afraid of AI. Because unlike a human, AI can't be bribed, cajoled, or swept under the rug. And I, for one, can't wait till someone sets it loose on government. My prediction, when the dominoes start falling, there'll be lots and lots of government parasites taking early retirement. Isn't that what always happens when the rats at the top know they're about to get caught? They resign and take early retirement. Of course, with AI, can it be used for evil? Of course, and it will. We'll just have to see how that plays out, right? Meanwhile, as all us gringles and expats with a plan B, watch the controlled demolition of the first world from a nice, safe distance. That same question keeps popping up over and over again, which is, how's your plan B coming? Now, I get the fact that millions of people would like to have a plan B. They go round and round in their heads about it, but they'll never really pull the trigger. Though they might schedule a week in a resort in Costa Rica or Cancun. They might even look at a few condos and check out some real estate. They'll even send me a few emails and we'll talk back and forth, promising they'll be at my next seminar. But they'll never sign up. They won't come. Still, I'd say, and this is sort of a sad statistic, probably only 5% of all the people who listen to this show will truly pull the trigger and get the hell out of Dodge. Now, some might say cowardice is contagious, but I really do get why most people can't come down. It's a predictable list of things, whether it's the job, kids in school, family stuff, short on cash, little or no nest egg, health problems, or someone in the family with health problems. But again, as someone a lot smarter than me once said, you only live once and you can't live someone else's life for them. So when I hear excuses like, can't come down right now because of my sick mother or my son or my daughter in college. Well, isn't that sort of putting someone else's life before yours? Look, if the shoe was on the other foot, would they do that for you? Would they change their life plan or put it on hold for you? You really should ask yourself that question. All right, enough of that rant. Let's take an email from Chris. He says, Johnny, a while back you were talking about bidets on your show. I've used lots of bidets in hotels in Europe. He says, I don't like toilet bowl types that you sit your rear end in a bowl used by other people. Well, that's gross. Then he sends me three links. One of them, he says, this is a stainless steel bidet that I've used for many years. A plumber hooked it up to my toilet. It's an Amazon link. Then there's another Amazon link. He says, I got this one. It's a bottle as well. After it was recommended on Gary Null's show, when COVID and everyone was hunting down toilet paper. Works great, super cheap, and portable. But now, he says, it looks like the most popular bidets people are using are ones that look like a kitchen sink spray nozzle. And he sends me the Amazon link. There's more here, but let me comment on that. Chris, I'll tell you what. Us guys, anyway, you know, those of us with an X and a Y chromosome. It's not chromosome, by the way, with a Z. There's no Z in chromosome. It's chromosome. It's that old nuclear nuclear thing. Anyway, unfortunately for us guys, our mothers never told us how to use a toilet without actually making contact, like our mothers taught our sisters. At least that's what the ladies tell me. They never make contact. They somehow have perfected that balancing act, even as tiny kids. Though nowadays, since it's been said that 70% of Americans are overweight, 40% obese. 
I'm kind of thinking gravity sort of makes zero butt contact impossible for most people. Anyway, I don't need to conjure those sordid images in my mind right now. Thank you very much. Anyway, Chris goes on in his email commenting about other things we recently spoke about, like those electronic speed sign billboards they have on the highways these days. You might remember when I said I'm starting to see those things around Latin America. No cops, just speed signs. I also mentioned they don't seem to impede anyone from breaking the speed limit laws. In fact, I haven't met a single person here in Latin America in all these years who's ever got a speeding ticket. (laughs) Except, guess where? In Mexico and Costa Rica. Could that maybe be because that's where all the gringos are? You think? Anyway, about those road signs that flash your speed. Chris says they're all over the place in the U.S. They've been there for decades. Not sure what the point is. It's a huge waste of government money once again because, look, we've all got gauges and odometers staring us in the face while we drive, telling us exactly how fast or slow we're going. Reminds me of so many people I know who wear a wristwatch. What the hell for? After all, you look at your smartphone a hundred times a day. The time's flashing in your face every time you look at it. So why in the hell do you have a watch if not to signal people around you you've got a certain status? I can tell you one thing. Latinos who can't even afford an upscale watch will wear a copy or counterfeit one anyway because they love to put on the dog. By the way, when I'm sitting down with one of these guys, I make a point of looking at that watch to see if it's actually working. At least half the time, the hands don't move. I just don't get it, but there's a lot of things I just don't get. Though I can tell you, when the hands don't work, I can't help but instantly stereotype the guy. In that moment, I kind of know where his head's at. That's not to say I haven't noticed a lot of Latinas with a watch that doesn't work. Though in that case, you can really cut them some slack because a watch with a lady is a fashion accessory. I've been to some Latinas' houses where they've got 10 or 12 watches all lined up on the dresser, and none of them work. I suppose they're just being realistic. They look at their phone a thousand times a day, too. They always know exactly what time it is to the minute. So why keep buying watch batteries over and over and over again? By the way, I never knew a Latino or Latina who knew how to change the battery in their watch. Can you? Oh, and how about those car key fobs? The battery eventually dies in those things, too. I never knew a Latina or Latino who knew how to change the battery in one of those things, either. Oh, and it's funny, I know so many Latinas and Latinos whose battery in that car fob is just about ready to die. And when that happens, you got to get closer and closer to your car because the range starts dying. And wouldn't you know it, this is Latin America, so that little situation where the signal gets weaker and weaker and the range less and less, that situation can go on for months and the Latino or Latina, they know the battery's dying, but they still won't get it replaced. Generally, not till that day where the car door will not open at all. Then, suddenly, it's an emergency and they'll have to scout out a key place. Yep, that's how things work here in Latin America. No one ever seems to plan ahead. I mean, look, half the people you see driving on the road don't even have a spare tire. And with the ones that do, half of them don't have air pressure. They're flat. In fact, sometimes I'll tell Americans who've never lived here in Latin America about Latinos and spare tires. I tell them it's kind of an IQ test. It should be a question on every job application, too. Because if a Latino has a spare tire that's fully inflated and looking good, by all means, hire him. All right, moving on. The next thing Chris talks about in his email, he says, Johnny, I don't know if you've talked about this, but what about RVs in Latin America? You know, recreational vehicles? Are there lots of RVs roaming around? Trailers? RV sites with hookups? 
Stores where you can buy campers and accessories? Do Latin Americans even like RVs and campers? Are they a thing down there or not? All right, Chris, me, Johnny here. You know, I almost never see RVs on the road. Though I know they're down here. Bitcoin Dan drove one down. When he was done with it, it sold in a hurry. Oh, and about RV dealers, places you could buy campers and accessories. I've personally never seen a standalone RV dealership. But I've seen some places where they sell boats and stuff, where there'll be one or two campers or RVs on the lot. Though as far as replacement parts and accessories, forget about it. Of course, if you have an RV down here, there's always Amazon. You can get everything on Amazon. The thing is, though, there are all kinds of RV sites on the internet. Fakebook and Instacrap RV sites connecting up people, too. The fact is, I know gringos who've plotted an entire trip from the U.S. to Panama, driving a camper or an RV down through Texas, through Mexico, etc. There are nice, safe RV parks along the way. You could plot out your trip quite nicely on the internet. I know those RV parks exist, especially in tourist areas, but I've never seen one. The question is, is it a good or bad idea to have an RV here in Latin America? Well, I can tell you one great use for one. Do like Bitcoin Dan did. Buy a used RV up in the States or Canada. Load it up with all the things you want to bring on down. Let's say your plan B destination is Panama or Guatemala or Honduras. You plot out your route, hit the RV parks along the way. When you finally plant your feet in your plan B destination, stay with that camper or trailer for six months or so while you investigate your housing options. That way you've got all your belongings with you too. You don't have to ship anything down or have to buy much when you get here. As far as selling the thing when you no longer have use for it, you should be able to do that really fast. In fact, Bitcoin Dan told me in his particular neighborhood, when he finally rented a house, he parked his RV in the driveway and parked it there for quite a long time. And he said, every so often, someone would knock on his door, usually someone from the neighborhood. It was an upscale, gated, guarded community. Some of them, he found out, were very interested in buying his RV. And when he finally put a for sale sign on the thing, he sold it in a week. By the way, if I recall, I think he said he paid seven grand for it up in Canada. And some years later in Guatemala, he sold it for the same price, seven grand. Now, you might be thinking seven grand, well, it must have been a really cheap RV. Well, it wasn't. There's lots of used RVs up in the States and Canada. Older RVs that are in really good condition, but very cheap. Just like there's a lot of cheap Harleys for sale up in the States and Canada too. Older Harleys, very cheap. So back to the question, do Latin Americans like RVs and campers? Well, they seem to, but it's just not a thing like it is up in the States or Canada. Just hasn't caught on yet. And finally, speaking of AI, let's put on our tinfoil hats for a second here. Chris says, Johnny, have you seen the Joe Rogan interviews with Bob Lazar? Do you know about the Bob Lazar story? Chris, Chris, you ask if I know about Bob Lazar. Man, I'm one of the original listeners. In fact, I called in a few times to the Art Bell Show when he was on, what, Coast to Coast AM back in the 70s and 80s? You know, before the internet, before anyone had ever even heard of Area 51? I've listened to hours and hours of Bob Lazar interviews. So then Chris says, what do you think about the U.S. government applying AI technology to re-engineer UFO technologies they might have at Area 51, etc.? Then he says, maybe AI was used by civilizations on other planets to get them to such an advanced level that they were able to see the galaxy. Weird, he says, how some people I know react when I talk about UFOs. Seems everything Bob Lazar has said over the years has been proven right so far. He was correct, and the government lied. Well, Chris, I'm 100% with you on that one. 
Now, I know you've heard me say many times that some very interesting and brilliant people have come to my Expat Insider seminars. Guys a lot smarter than I am. A few of these guys admitted to me off the record that they actually had worked in some of these clandestine programs for the government. They were snapped up whilst in their early 20s as stellar graduate students in engineering schools. Ended up working on black projects. Though, soon enough, were really shocked and demoralized when they found out what the government was doing. But, you know, they'd signed on and had to fulfill their contracts. I can't tell you much more except to say none of them would say Bob Lazar was a fraud or a liar. In fact, they told me stories beyond Bob Lazar, beyond the fantastic. But the million-dollar question is, does the U.S. have alien technology or alien bodies? Well, a good friend of mine with a couple of engineering doctorates under his belt has a best friend working in government who is an eyewitness. My friend says he'll introduce him to me. So at the risk of sounding like I'm all hat and no horse, tinfoil hat that is, am I a believer? Damn right. Especially after my brother and his wife told me they both had an encounter. They saw exactly the same thing when on vacation in upstate New York, way out in the boonies. It was one of those missing time things, too. They both lost six or seven hours. Time completely wiped from their memories. It's a great story. If you ever run into me personally someday, ask me about it. I'll tell you. The thing is, if just one person, let's say my brother's wife or he, had told me it happened to them, well, there's always room for doubt there, but they both had the same experience. I always wanted to see a UFO, but I would not have changed places with them. All right, now an email from longtime listener Mr. G. He says, hi, Johnny. Have you ever talked about installing and using a wind turbine in Latin America? Has that been covered? He says, I understand it's a limited application given solar is readily available, more scalable, and more bang for the buck. Unless you're short on space, maybe wind power would be the way to go, at least for a specific operation like pumping water. Then he says, you know, there is a Canadian expat business success story. A young guy named Eric Brunel in Meridia, Yucatan, Mexico, started out like many expats doing creative management and gig-type work until launching a solar panel installation company in 2015. The company has grown into full-time staff with commercial and residential clients. He's achieved 34 installations in just 2023 with similar success stories in previous years. All right, Mr. G, thanks for that. You know, being a previous engineer in a former life, you better believe if there's one thing I hate more than government, it's utility companies. In fact, even 30 plus years ago in Chicago, since I had a little homestead out in the county, I actually bought one of those high efficiency wood-burning stove inserts because I had so much damn firewood, I thought I'm not going to pay the gas company if I could chop my own wood, shove it in the hearth and get some energy out of it. It worked too. It didn't heat the whole house, but it Sure, took a big dent out of my natural gas bill. I was always looking to get over on the utility companies. I even looked into windmills way back when. Of course, they were terribly inefficient. The newer ones are much better. And of course, having quite a few engineer friends, I had a few friends who set up windmills and they all told me the same thing. I'm talking about windmills for their own personal use out on their homesteads or wherever. Every last one of them tells me it ain't worth it. The payback's no good. I'm talking about engineering buddies up in Illinois and Wisconsin who set those things up. It's just not windy enough when you want it to be. Now, as far as wind power down here in Latin America, sure, there are some big commercial wind farms here and there, but they're not making a big dent either. I'm hearing from utility people. They're not cost efficient either. So then who's building those things? Mostly it comes from U.S. grant money and NGO money. Ugh. 
Now, as far as the individual units you can use to get off the grid yourself, etc. Over the past couple of years, I've spotted a few good-sized windmills on private property. And I was interested and happy to see that I'd slow down and look at them. Though I also noticed something that wasn't good at all. Every other windmill, one out of two, was not spinning. Even with a headwind. So I'm thinking, something's wrong. They've got a big, powerful windmill like that, and it's out of commission. Not good. And I'd say about a year and a half ago, I was talking to a guy whose windmill wasn't spinning. Actually, it was the next door neighbor I spoke to. He told me it got hit by lightning some months back. And the owner was waiting on parts, which were, he said, way too expensive. So the owner had some soul searching to do. He said the price of the parts were about three years the cost of a regular electric bill if he was hooked up to the grid. Yep, a dilemma, all right. By the way, off-the-grid solar has become so cheap. I know exactly the system I'd buy if I was in the market again. I could buy a complete turnkey system with 20 500-watt solar panels. That'd be about 10,000 watts of solar power peak. With about 30 kilowatts of battery backup for nighttime use, just like having two Tesla Powerwalls. With the inverter putting out about 100 amps max, an all-inclusive system like that for probably around 18 grand. That's enough to power a nice big house, even if you have a couple air conditioners, and recharge a nice big electric car. Now, if you dish out half that, around nine grand, you won't be able to charge your electric car, but it'll still take care of a whole house. Whereas a big windmill might set you back 20 grand, but it's only going to work while the wind's blowing. By the way, if you want the details on that off-the-grid turnkey system that I would buy right now, if I was setting up a solar system, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Again, I don't get any kickbacks for recommending these things. Do remember, though, I do keep up with the latest tech. All right, changing gears and not so breaking news. Not so breaking because I brought this up a couple of weeks ago already. The U.S. State Department has finally gotten involved in warning gringos and expats about using dating apps in Colombia due to a series of deaths involving U.S. citizens in the country. Of course, you longtime listeners have heard me talk about this before. While the U.S. government State Department slugs are always the last horse in the race, right? What else is new? Should fire them all. Turns out, if you check the website, you'll see they've put Columbia under a reconsidered travel advisory starting in January this month, primarily due to concerns about crime, terrorism, civil unrest, kidnapping, and specific warnings that came out last Wednesday, drawing attention to eight suspicious deaths of private U.S. citizens in Medellin, Colombia, Colombia's second largest city, in just the two-month period between November 1st and December 31st, 2023, just two months ago. These eight fatalities were thought to be forced overdoses and killings connected to those gringos using online dating services in Medellin, Colombia, where criminals use dating apps to lure victims into public places like hotels, restaurants, bars, etc., where they become targets of assaults, robberies, and occasional fatalities. Though when it comes to non-fatal scam dating incidents, thousands of cases go unreported according to police, simply because the victims are too embarrassed to come forward and make a complaint. They take the loss and are quiet about it. Then it cites the tragic case of Minnesota comedian Tao Jerzing, who was kidnapped, held for ransom in Medellin, and later found dead after arranging to meet a woman he encountered online. All right, me, Johnny here. So what do you think? For these guys, is it bad luck or just stupidity? 
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.